Hey, this is Matt Dwyer, and I just want to invite you to check out themattdwyer.com. That's my website, where it's a landing spot for all things that are the podcast, like my Patreon page. For $5 a month, you could become a Patreon subscriber. You get bonus blogs, bonus content. A lot of my interviews go two hours, but I only post an hour, so there's the part two there. There's episodes in their entirety that unedited a lot of stories that you might not hear in the podcast so go to themattdwire.com become a patreon subscriber there's also merchandise you can buy t-shirts and a phone case i think those are the only two things i have right now but you can also find my social media and see the past episodes every episode is on there um, you can see all, a lot of my past guests. You might discover some people you didn't know were on the show and be like, holy shit, he's had Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips or holy shit, he's had Danita Sparks from L7. So go to themattdwire.com, become a Patreon subscriber, buy some merch. Thank you. Conversations with Dwyer, or just Dwyer, because everybody calls me Dwyer, including my kids and partner, and sometimes people who just meet me. But anyway, this is a music podcast, and speaking of music, the song that played me in was called is called "Giving It Up" by Pearl Charles. It was released January eleventh, twenty twenty two. In the show notes is a link to the Bandcamp where you could buy that song and other music by Pearl Charles. She's really great. She had an album come out January 2021 called Magic Mirror. That's also great. Uh, I'm very honored that she came onto the show and talked to me. And uh, she's super smart and stumped me. At one point, I was stumped, really stumped, because I didn't know how to respond. Probably more uh, tribute to my my dumbness, but <laughs> uh, I really, really, really love this conversation, and I think you will too. Uh, on, on the Patreon, there's a uh, bonus content from this, uh, episode, video and ver- vocal on re- the whole conversation in its entirety. And also you can find my social media. You know, it'd be really helpful though. If you just tell your friends about the show, you're like, Hey, you like music. This is a really good podcast for, for discovering new music or maybe some older stuff that you never heard of, or who knows what your proclivities for the sounds are. But, uh, yeah, that would help me out greatly. Uh, it is the second episode of the 2022 year. Uh, rough start to the year for me. Podcasts good, me rough. Wicked sinus infection. Thought I had the COVID, don't have the COVID. But, which sucks because I thought I had it and then I was like, okay, well, this is out of the way. Or for this round of COVID, but turns out I could still get really sick. So there's the optimist in me. There's still more sick to possibly be out there. I hope you all are being healthy and smart with the masks and the COVID and the thing is and the who. Uh, what a weird fucking time. What a weird time. It is a hard time to be optimistic, but I am trying. Side note, February 1st, one year with no booze in me. That's a pretty big feat because I went decades with booze in me. <laughs> Daily booze in me for decades. So I'm looking forward to just being able to say that I haven't had a drink in a year. Um, my face looks better. Torso still looks like a science experiment gone awry. Face looking pretty decent. All right, enough of that. I will get on to my conversation with Pearl Charles. It is great. Please look at... The, oh, I know what. Uh, sorry, if you are looking for a website, if you need a website, my website, themattdwyer.com, is done by Kelly R. Dwyer, my partner in life. She also does My Favorite Murder, Ologies. She does political websites, actors' websites, podcast websites, band websites. Go to the kellyrdwyer.com. That's also in my show notes. Get a website. She's really great, and she's a super-duper person. Now, here's my conversation with Pearl Charles. Another lonely night and you're out on the town. Nothing I ever did. Do you find buying old instruments, do you find inspiration in that? 
definitely. I mean, it's just like, I mean, I'm a vintage lover of all things. So it's, you can see that the construction is better and they use better materials. Um, I think even, I mean, I don't know, I'm kind of like talking uh, out of my ass right now, but like, I feel like there's some, some woods that you can't use anymore to make guitars and stuff. So there's actually some things like that, that are like, you just actually can't recreate. Um, but there was just more care and like love that went into making things and the designs were better. I mean, that's just my personal opinion, obviously, but I mean, I think a lot of people see the the virtue in a vintage musical gear for sure. And I mean, we've rented a few old cars. I, I don't own an old car, although that's a dream of mine as well. But like, you know, we've rented some for music videos and for photo shoots and like, I mean, those things just look so cool and like they still run great. And, you know, you buy a car now and like it has a, an expiration date. <laughs> and if you hit a Cadillac with a Kia, the Kia is going to lose. Exactly. I mean, one of those old boat Cadillacs, like, I don't know how you're going to park it, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a 73 Impala when I was a kid. That was like my first car. And it was a fucking tank. Like it was just unbelievable. And of course it got like eight miles to the gallon. Like it was insane. <laughs> that must be a beast though. It was a beast. And it had black and white zigzag seats. And I was like, you would never see that anymore. Exactly. What happened to the care and attention to detail, you know? Yeah. And it seems like, like you're saying, like, even like old dressers, it's like, my kids aren't going to inherit my dresser unless it, I mean, it'll be a pile of wood. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, I mean, if it was made now, I mean, in our house, it's actually furnished by the owner. It's like a rental and he has this old, I'm looking at it right now, this record cabinet from, I don't even know when it's from, maybe the sixties or seventies. And I mean, it's beautiful, perfect wood, and it still basically works. And that's the thing. It's like, if it's old enough, you can pass it down. But yeah, I mean, if it's from Ikea, it's not going to last. Right? <laughs> that's a real drag. That's like a real bummer. Because it's like, you know, I have some things or a thing from my grandparents. And it's like, fuck, wouldn't it be great to have like a bunch of things and my kids will have like a picture on their computer that will probably die. <laughs> I do miss that. I miss, you know, like a photo album. Those were like good days. You know, I love looking through like photos from my childhood. And I mean, I grew up with cassette tapes and it's definitely a whole new world. Yeah. A friend of mine sent me as a gift, sent me these just old photos, probably from the forties that she found at a thrift store and she sent them to me and it was just so surreal but awesome like just to like peer into these people's lives which you will never that's like a that's going to end someday and they're you know it's not like you're going to find an old hard drive at the goodwill or maybe you will <laughs> i happen to be friends on facebook with a guy who says that he found an old hard drive but someone must have uploaded all the photos so i mean i guess maybe this is how it will pass down through history of like eleven thousand photos and every once in a while he'll post them and they are incredible and i follow an instagram that also posts found vintage photos and they're so cool so i mean you know let's put it online <laughs> it's all we can do <laughs> Is this house that you're in right now, is it the one in the desert? I know you spend a lot of time in the desert. It is. I would, I've never, I've like been to the desert, but to live in the desert, it's got to be kind of, because you grew up in LA proper, right? I did, but my family also has a place out here in the desert. So I've been coming out here for a long time. It's kind of a my home away from home. It's like, it does something different to your brain, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't mean that well, in a bad know, way. I mean that in a sort of an inspiring way. We'll see. We'll see. You know, we've only been here a year, um, but we go back and forth a lot. So we're not like full desert people. Um, although I'm, I'm open to that. I mean, I love the creative inspiration out here. So I think that's true. Like to be in a quiet place, we don't really have any neighbors. We can make music all night and day. And that's obviously the most important thing. And what really brought us out here is like the peace and quiet that allows for the creativity. But like you said, it does something in your brain. It's, not, we don't, are, we're not necessarily aligned with everybody out here, um, which is fine. You're not going to be aligned with everybody everywhere, but there, it takes all kinds. There's definitely like, it's definitely not LA. Let's say that. 
it's uh but quiet i don't know if as i used to always think i'm like i'm gonna live in the city and then as i get older i'm like fuck the city and fuck everybody around <laughs> like not in a mean way it's just like i want quiet and i want as little around to distract me as possible well it was really nice to come out here during you know when covid was really raging which i mean it kind of seems to be again so might be a good time to hunker down <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I feel the same way. I always thought I would always live in a city and I always wanted to be in the hustle and bustle. I mean, LA is kind of great because you get the best of both worlds because there is a lot of nature so immediately available and you can kind of escape away into it. But as soon as you leave the house, you're running into traffic. And I mean, yeah, I thought I'd, you know, just be fine with that forever. But as I get older, I'm like, kind of like, the open country roads. Like I don't like the crazy drivers and the road rage and all of that. So <laughs> I don't yeah. miss that part. <laughs> I, f- I feel like, and maybe I'm just going goofy, but like, I don't miss the stress. I like, I find like too much stimulation now stressful. And like, I'm like, oh, I just, can we just have quiet <laughs> like, and listen to like one piano playing? I don't know if it's the post COVID world also, because I think we all, I mean, who knows, maybe we'll get used to it again, but I think everybody got used to a somewhat slower pace of life. I know I did. And I kind of loved LA when there was no one else on the roads. I mean, that was like kind of the most magical thing I've ever seen. I love LA like on Christmas day. Yeah. That was my favorite because I'd just drive around with no traffic, but now like with COVID, it was like that for a few months and it was like really cool. Um, we would drive out like, you know, there wasn't much you could do. Like <laughs> some of the stuff that we would do to like get our kicks would be like, okay, we can like go to the drive through at in and out, you know, which like <laughs> what's exciting. At least just car. Or like we can drive all the way to the beach with no traffic. And we didn't ever get out of the car. Cause we were like too scared at this point to like, you know, we didn't know what was going on. We'll just, we'll just stay in the car, but we can drive all the way there and back with no traffic. And it was really like seizing the day. <laughs> yeah. And we had good air for a moment for a brief oh. moment. We had really good air, which was bizarre. That's obviously not been uh, the case lately with all this weird haze. Yeah. I've been like, it's been bad. We're in San, the San Gabriel Valley. So it's been really bad over here. Oh man. Well, you got all the best Chinese though. Yeah, we do. So it's a trade. <laughs> <laughs> you st- it said something interesting about the pandemic, and I hadn't thought of it, but it totally made sense about how people went from like kind of having pop music be background music to starting to investigate lyrics again and like looking for meaning, which I thought was a really interesting observation. Yeah, I mean, you know, I have to look at it as a somewhat of a blessing in disguise for me personally, obviously I know that it was really bad for a lot of people and it's really sad that it affected so many people so badly. And it wasn't all, you know, hunky dory for me all the time either. But I think the fact that people slowed down a bit kind of allowed for the space for the record that I made and it got to be heard by maybe more people than would have heard it. Otherwise, that being said, I'm kind of sad that we didn't get to tour it quite as much. And it looks like some of our European tour dates will be postponed because of this new variant and all these new restrictions. So that's where, you know, it's a blessing and a curse, of course. But yeah, I do think that people, uh, music took on, I don't want to say a new meaning in people's lives because I think it always had that meaning, but maybe it kind of got lost somewhere in the shuffle and it kind of came back. Yeah, I do. I do feel like there's, and I don't maybe it's coincidental. I don't know, but there's more thought in music or weight and introspection that I haven't seen in kind of a while. I feel like we got a little bit fluffy there for a while. Not all of it, but <laughs> like, and 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 I think kind of as a whole as society, I feel like we people just love them fucking superhero movies and i'm like can we please return to something of a little bit like fine with that but does it all have to be that am i crazy here (laughs) not crazy i mean i'm totally on the same page i you know as as i've said i'm a lover of old things and specifically the 70s is an era that i gravitate towards and to me that was like the height of artistry in the mainstream and so 
all the movies, not all the movies, not all the music. We can't ever make <laughs> some generalizations, but you know, the, the mainstream stuff was actually like high quality art. And that's kind of been bastardized a bit, if you will. Nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> I even feel like somebody, and this is not my observation, but somebody said even the indie movies don't seem as indie as they used to be. Like there's even like a sheen to the, not all of them, because I think like guys like Sean Baker are making really interesting films to name one, but I don't know. I also lost my train of thought there, Pearl. <laughs> I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I Thank can- you. I mean, I'm just, you know, I've always been attracted to, ever since I was really little, I remember, I mean, listen, my first concert was the Spice Girls, don't get me wrong. (laughs) What I was told to like as a young child, but at the same time, I remember riding in the carpool and like everybody, different kids got to put on whatever radio stations they wanted. And I always wanted to put on K-Earth 101. And nowadays, K-Earth 101 plays like 80s and 90s music. But when I was growing up, it played like 50s music. And I was so excited. 50s and 60s. I just loved it. I always liked old stuff. And then, I mean, in my first band, I went really far back to like the Bristol Sessions and like the Carter family and Jimmy Rogers and really, really old music. And kind of went chronologically through the decades to get to where I am now, which is a mix of everything because obviously it all plays into it itself and relates. And, and of course there's great films and great uh, music being made today, but it does feel like if you want to find that you're going to have to seek it out instead of it being the mainstream, instead of it being brought to you in your regular media that you consume. Yeah. I'm always curious because I was thinking about this a while ago of how when when I meet somebody who's younger and they're like, oh, I'm into this generation of music or decade of music, and I'm always like opposed to what is currently going on. But then I was like, oh, I did that. Like I was into 40s music in high school when nobody listened to 40s music. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. I wonder what the connection is to that. Like, is it, do you, do you know why you're attracted to it? Does it represent something? Because to me, it represents my grandparents in a lot of ways. Hmm. Well, that's a really good question. I mean, it's funny because a lot of the music that I like actually is very in opposition to what my parents liked, although they showed me a lot of great music and the classics, you know, um, my dad loved Dylan and the Beatles. My mom loved John Prine and Leonard Cohen and all of those people are the greats, but the stuff that my parents didn't show me that I love, I'm wearing an ABBA shirt right now. (laughs) (laughs) Mac, the stuff that was the mainstream that was considered kind of to be schlocky by those who were more on the fringes at those times have come and like the Eagles is another perfect example, which is a band that is obviously widely hated because maybe not exclusively because of the Big Lebowski, but obviously that didn't help add to their <laughs> rep- and so like people who were on the outside kind of thought that bands like that were sellouts or that they were like what we think of like modern pop now, but with, you know, 30, 40 years of retrospection, I can see them in a different way. And I see the artistry and I see, um, what they had to offer. So, I mean, I don't know, that's, it's an interesting question, you know, like how does that change over time? Um, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it's weird. Cause like I got into like the forties music, because I think it represented like the safety I felt with my grandparents, which is real psychological. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cause that was the place where no one hit me just to get real specific. <laughs> there you go. You're like those were the good times. Um, <laughs> ah, to not have a bruise, the good days. Um, my you- I mean that she used to wear like forties clothes, which is funny. Cause like also, you know, for me, like, I like vintage style, but I don't, I I mean, I used to go back that far. I used to wear like Victorian style dresses and stuff, but these days I'm more into like bell bottoms and, you know, I mix it up. I don't just only draw from one era. I don't want to be, uh, the the phrase that we use sometimes is LARPing. You don't want to be LARPing the seventies. That's not cool. Does, is that something you have to be conscious of when you create music or no? Like, do you have to be like, Oh, that's two seventies or that's two whatever. Um, you know, I feel like you, some people really want to make something that sounds like it's from 
a certain era, which is, you know, that's cool if that's what you want to do. I'd like to think that I'm able to update it to make it, it, it's never going to be that. So instead of trying to be that, just try to draw on those traditions, but then you've got to make it your own, you know, Yeah. which is make it modern because like, I'm not from the seventies, so I can't, I'll never be able to make a seventy. <laughs> even if we use all of the gear and write in the style and do everything, you know, like, but in terms of the clothing aspect, I do think sometimes you see people and it just seems like they're dressed up in a costume. And if it doesn't feel authentic, then, then it's probably not. <laughs> yeah. Is it, isn't it, it's wild to me how you can sense authentic, like you could just tell immediately how something's not legit. And it's just weird. Like you can't fake art. You really, really, some people go a long way at faking it, <laughs> but, but you really like in the long haul, you can't, you can't be full of shit and create. It's um, astounding to me. You know, obviously different people are resonate with different things. So True. it's like, there's certain things that come across as very inauthentic to me, but I mean, I, they still manage to find success. I'm not sure what people are connecting with. I question this all the time as an artist and someone who's putting stuff out there and observing my peers, you know, you just don't know. Like I personally don't really connect with a lot of what is considered to be like, I keep saying the word mainstream, but I don't know how else to describe it. What is in like the modern pop lexicon? It doesn't ring true to me, but I mean, it's incredibly successful. So I'm not sure if it is ringing true with people or if people just like what they're told to like, or if they just don't know how to find the other stuff, because there are these gatekeepers that kind of stand between independent artists and the rest of the world. Yeah. Success is a like a word that I've struggled with personally and as like my own life and career and when it's attributed to others, because it is, like you said, there's a lot of people who make these fucking choices. <laughs> it's like, and like in the old days, you know, they would sign a band just to hold that band back says they had another band that was similar. Like there's all kinds of fuckery like that. And it's just like, and I don't know. Do you have, do you, how do you define success? Do you have a definition for it? I mean, I think that to be successful as an artist in this modern day and age would be to be able to make a living off of making your art in terms of like financial success or whatever. It's like, you don't have to obviously reach the greatest heights to be a successful artist. Now, in terms of being successful as an artist in the sense of creating what you want to create. I think just following your heart and like making what feels real to you, that's what true success is. And that's hard to do because, you know, there's a lot of external forces that come along. And I mean, I think some people are very um, isolated in their process, but I'm definitely like collaborative and I'm open to hearing other people's ideas. Luckily, I don't really think I have a lot of people around me trying to push me in a direction that doesn't feel authentic. But, you know, I've been, I grew up in LA and I've been making music for a really long time. So I've definitely encountered those people who have tried to push me along a different path that maybe would have brought success, so to speak, more quickly. But I've always made, I mean, I'm my father's daughter, if you will. I've always made uh, creative decisions over professional ones and for better or for worse, you know? <laughs> yeah. I know those, I know those choices. <laughs> Listen, get to the end of your life and you're going to have to ask yourself if you did what you wanted to do with it. And like, at least I don't feel like I have to question that. Yeah. And I feel, I don't know. Yeah. I would rather least, be, a, I mean, hopefully I won't be living in a gutter, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that now I have kids. So it's, but it's weird. It, it, that changes. I don't know. That has changed a lot of like at work ethics and stuff. And it were, but still I'm like, no, I'm not going to fucking do that. Even though I would really like that money. So I deal I mean, drugs. It's a tough question. <laughs> We've all been there. Right. <laughs> Um, you're like you know what my moral ethics my <laughs> dilemmas don't hold me back from <laughs> but I swear no fentanyl I do not I promise that there's none of that alright well a, then I'm gonna have to hit you up <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend who was doing a lot of coke and I was like dude this is not the era to be doing like no 
what is this like terrorism? I don't understand. Have you spent time thinking about this? Because I certainly have. Like, what is going on? There's no explanation to me that makes sense. It's bizarre. I don't, I no longer do drugs, but I mean, I did. And I know what it's like to be in the throes of that. So I, I'm like, would I have made that mistake? But my buddy was doing a lot of it and like, like in shitty bars, like in the Valley. And I'm like, don't fuck around. No, yeah, you can't, you definitely can't be like taking drugs from strangers in this day and age. That's, that's a bygone era. (laughs) (laughs) It's a real drag. (laughs) It's kind of a bummer. I mean, it's, it's, the thing is, it's not just cocaine. It's like, it seems like almost every drug has been infiltrated. And even when you, I mean, listen, I'm just reading articles. This isn't personal experience, but like, you know, they say that like a lot of the pharmaceutical drugs or people think they're buying pharmaceutical drugs on the street. Obviously there's, it's a risk, but like, even like, you know, they think they're getting a pill, but it has fentanyl in it. And I'm like, where is this coming from? Like, that's, it, it is bizarre. It is. Cause I'm like, and then not that I, expect a drug dealer to be a moral individual <laughs> but it's like you already kind of know you're doing something bad do you really have to up the ante and be like well you know we're gonna kill him anyway so let's kill him this way <laughs> well that's the real question is like where i mean i think you know i'm not really much of a conspiracy theorist but i do just want to know the answer of like where is this coming from and why because like you're killing off your clients so that doesn't really make sense i mean getting them hooked sure i mean that's obviously morally wrong as well but like that at least makes sense yeah yeah i don't know like i just i mean the whole oxycontin thing was like that was just that was a like one of the biggest drug pandemics in this country was pretty much a fucking corporate operation yeah I, i need to watch that documentary about that i'm actually quite interested in that whole story i haven't watched that yet i I'm not a violent person, but those people should be fucking beaten. <laughs> just like they. Well, the fact that they're getting off with like just fines or whatever, it's like, this is like crim. I mean, this is like, ugh, we're opening a whole other can of worms here, but like, I mean, the criminal activity that's just like sanctioned by our government is like ridiculous. It's like, you know, that there's laws against this. Like we can take action against these people, but we're like, mm, just pay us and don't, not like, don't pay restitution to the people who you hurt. Just like give money to the government and then you're fine. It's like, what? How does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. I've been as a side project. I've been interviewing this guy about like from New Orleans and like shit in the 60s. And he was saying like it used to marijuana used to be like a grade A offense or whatever the technical term is. And like you would go if you got busted with marijuana or selling it to a minor, you were like, I think selling marijuana to a minor was a death death penalty in Louisiana, which is just insane. Oh, my God. I mean, the fact that there's still people in jail for weed offenses is just I mean, that's honestly, like, I wish I had more of a platform and hopefully maybe one day I will, but that would be something I would really like, like to see some reform in. Yeah. It's this country is so fucking ass backwards. It's just astounding. It's just astounding. My boyfriend is Canadian. So, you know, I get to see some of the uh, stark differences and there's a lot. It's yeah, it's insane. I was talking to a Canadian friend the other day and I said something about like deductibles and she was like, what? Like, yeah, they don't know about that. <laughs> um, back to your music, though, because you started playing piano at five. I did. I wanted to start when I was four, but uh, my older sister was taking lessons and I asked my parents and they said, if you still want to when you're five, you can. And here we are. Um, because uh, because I also read that you played drums in the blank tapes and I was just wondering when it went from piano to when you started shooting off in other directions with what you were learning and playing? Um, I, if I remember the timeline correctly, I think piano was first. And then I started voice lessons when I was like nine, I was really into uh, musical theater. So I was doing musical theater stuff. And then my mom was like, okay, like, you know, let's get you into doing more voice lessons and focusing on that aspect of things. And then I think I was about 12 when I decided I would pick up guitar. When I picked up guitar, I kind of uh, put keys on the back burner a bit and honestly kind of put keys on the back burner again until this past year where I, uh, you know, I always messed around, but I started playing keys in the live show again. So that was really exciting. The drum thing, it's funny. A lot of people obviously focus on that and it's a good, story. I don't really consider myself a drummer. I played drums in this band. I played stand-up drums, kind of like Mo Tucker from the Velvet Underground. So, you know, I'm not a full kit drummer, but, um, you know, I can, 
I can bang on a drum. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I always focus on drums because I attempted to be a drummer. And I think that's the only way to word it. I attempted to be one. You know, drumming is like very physical and very um, full body. Like it requires a lot of coordination. Keys now that I'm using my feet again, um, that's, it's opening up a whole new world. But guitar, it's just two hands. And I was like, I can handle that. (laughs) (laughs) That's, yeah. I guess for a lazy person like myself, drums, way too much effort. Uh, The drummer is definitely the most um, in shape member of our band. (laughs) <laughs> but i think that's cool that you were just like oh, i'm not really a drummer but i'm gonna fucking do it that's what i like about a lot of musicians they're just like ah, fuck it i'll do i'll just do this and sometimes it works probably a lot of times it doesn't we just don't hear about those people <laughs> <laughs> well it is impressive the bravery that it takes to try something new and to get out on stage and do it i mean i love being on stage so that part wasn't very hard for me but um I think a lot of musicians are kind of multifaceted in that way. I mean, like I said, I'm very collaborative, but at the same time, like making music can be a very like independent kind of art form. And so sometimes you got to do it all yourself. And if that's all you got, then you're going to learn how to play drums. (laughs) How you knew pretty right away that you were, uh, this was it. This is what you're going to do with your life. You know, Yes. Well, there's a funny story where I actually really wanted to do musical theater and stuff. And I was into acting as well, but then I got in trouble, um, not at school, but like outside of school, I snuck out of my house and I took a cab to this other kid's house. Whose dad actually is a famous songwriter. I don't even think I was aware of this. I knew he was a country singer. His name's Mac Davis. I I used to watch Mac Davis when I was a kid. And yeah, he wrote like in the ghetto and, uh, like a little less conversation. What did he write in the ghetto? I think he wrote a little less conversation. Anyway, he wrote a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff for Elvis. He was a big writer, um, which is funny in the context of the story. So I snuck out to his house with his son and some other friends of mine. We smoked some pot. We were like 15. And somehow he, his brother actually got in trouble. This is like kind of convoluted. It doesn't even really matter. But his brother got in trouble for having people over when their parents were out of town. And so he told on his brother and said, well you know, him and Pearl and all their friends came over and spoke pot too. And the mom was like the head of the PTA. So she called my school, even though this happened outside of school. And it just so happened to be on the day of the auditions for the musical and the way the seniority all worked out or whatever. Like I was probably poised, you know, I'm just (laughs) assuming to like get a big part in this musical. Although also it was a musical, it was damn Yankees. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's like a very male heavy musical, whereas many musicals have a lot of female parts. This one only has like two female parts, really. I didn't end up getting any part. I wasn't even put into like the chorus. So I was kind of like blacklisted from the theater department at my school, which kind of seems like the opposite thing that you would want to do to a kid who maybe was like, you know, doing extracurricular activities that were not school sanctioned, if you will. For being the Um, cool kid. Let's be frank. You were the cool kid because you were doing drugs. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I definitely was a scapegoat, if nothing else. And maybe I was made an example of, I don't know, but it got me out of theater. And so then I kind of, I went into the jazz band program and then I kind of like took the jazz band and turned it into a rock band at school. And I was like, yeah, I think, Rock and roll is kind of more my speed. That's pretty cool that you were like, uh, turned it into your rock band. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was super fun. I, I loved it. I, I think that that it was like, it was meant to be. Cause like, I mean, listen, I always say I would happily take a role in Mamma Mia on Broadway. <laughs> if anyone's out there, I'm available. But yeah, I mean, I think my heart's really in, in rock music. So it Do worked you- out. Do you ever want to act again? Is that something that appeals to you? Um, you know, I remember it's funny because there was another distinct moment where I went to like acting camp and it was like acting for the camera and I'd always only ever done like theater. And so then I saw myself on camera for the first time and I thought it was cringy and I was like, I don't think I'm actually very good at this. (laughs) (laughs) I never, like, I did 
theater in Chicago for years. I did Second City and stuff. And I just, one day I was just like, I don't like this. Like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, it's not, wasn't remotely entered, like fun for me. I don't know why I kept doing it. Yeah. I mean, I don't like, and this is nothing against actors or anything, but like, I just, I don't really like resonate so much with like theater people these days, especially um, the way that I do with like musicians. Like I'm clearly like a musician and a musician's musician. And like, I love being in a band and that whole thing. And that's kind of like, that's, that's for me. So, but yeah. I, I'd be open to it. I mean, I do occasionally still go out on auditions and stuff just, you know, in between tour time to like, you know, see if anything shakes loose. Nothing has yet. So. <laughs> Act, as a guy who spent a lot of time around comedians, actors, and musicians, musicians are way more fun. Trump all of them. No, what can we say? And <laughs> tend to be socially funnier than comedians. That's for sure. In my experience. I mean, I keep talking about this Beatles documentary, but like they're fucking hilarious. The, I didn't see all the Peter Jackson one. I've, oh my goodness. Definitely watch it. I watched the Rick Rubin one, which is not very funny. <laughs> no, it's, it's, yeah. it's fascinating. I liked that better, but that was just more my mental speed. That was also good. Um, but I think getting to see them all together and like seeing them interact and stuff, like, I mean, what you're talking about, it's just like seeing these musicians hang out. I'm like, these guys are so funny. Yeah, they were very funny. And they were good. Surprisingly. They were, yeah. But I mean, they're good in like Hard Day's Night. Like they're naturally glib fellas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and Dylan's really funny too. I feel like there's like writing songs obviously this goes for everything writing anything requires some degree of cleverness but like you know being able to like shoot off songs the way that those guys were like it's not surprising that they simultaneously could shoot off really good jokes yeah steve gunn was telling me that bob dylan is like really silly and funny and like likes i forget what kind of video but like watches youtube videos and stuff of people like getting hit in the head <laughs> like, <laughs> like the not like the, the thing fails yeah <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's just the image of Bob Dylan is, I don't, I can't even think of how many pictures I've seen with him smiling. Well, I've actually heard quite a bit that Bob Dylan is into slapstick. I, that's great. So that adds up with what you're saying. Yeah. Anyway. Who would have thought? Right? <laughs> I know he does not seem like the most like goofy kind of guy. Seems to take himself pretty seriously, but hey. You never really, the thing is, we know nothing about him. He doesn't yeah. want us to know. So we're kind of all just making assumptions. <laughs> I don't know if that could, could that happen these days? Because with social media and how in, like, it's like, like dudes like Lou Reed, because I heard Lou Reed was like super neurotic. Like we all think of Lou Reed as like Joe Cool, but somebody told me he was like really neurotic and like, like almost Woody Allen neurotic. Not, not to bring up Woody Allen, but <laughs> don't don't you say it. No, <laughs> he's still a person that exists in the world. I mean, we can't completely erase his existence. No, no. Um, but that's it's just like you could used to be able to have a complete create a character that people was had a mystique about it, and I don't know if you could do that anymore. I mean, I know some bigger artists when they reach a certain level, get rid of social media, which I really commend and am envious of, to be honest, because I feel like I'm tied to it more than I'd like to be because of just where I'm at as an artist. And that's the best way to get the word out and whatever. But that being said, I mean, I'm not really one to like share much personal stuff on my Instagram. I love to have a good interview chat and I'll happily open up about myself and my life. But like, in terms of like, do you want to see what I had for breakfast or whatever? It's just like, I don't even want to see that. Like, why would someone else? <laughs> you don't want to tweet out what, what should I have for lunch? I'm always like <laughs> mystified that I'm like, really? Like, do you really need to do that? And is it just to be like, let's see how many likes my lunch gets when you're like whoever famous. I mean, yeah, if you're like a chef, maybe. But like <laughs> <laughs> When did you... When did the songwriting enter into all of this? When did you start doing that? Well, yeah. So you asked me like, if I always knew that I was going to do this, I really, I kind of feel like I have a unique situation. Maybe it's not that unique for people growing up in Los Angeles, but for a lot of the other artists I know, um, 
you know, they came to music in their own way. But for me, like, I mean, I just loved singing and I was singing since I was like a baby and my parents like noticed that and they noticed my affinity from wanting to play the piano and all of that. And so they basically told me like, you're good at singing, like you should sing. So I was like, okay, well, I like it. So it sounds good. And then at a certain point they were like, okay, well, if you're going to like continue to pursue music, which you've obviously been doing throughout your whole childhood, you should write songs. Cause that's like what you do. And I was like, oh, okay. Like that hadn't really crossed my mind, but my piano teacher was a songwriter, um, kind of more for like mainstream pop stuff as we've discussed. But, um, so she, I started, you know, writing songs with her. So I kind of got, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'd call it a lesson or it was like a collaboration really, but she kind of showed me the ropes and, um, yeah, but so that's kind of how I learned about it. And I, I mean, I love it. I love writing songs. It's definitely like what I was meant to do, but I didn't really discover it myself. I was kind of led in that direction. And then I was glad that I ended up there. Your parents seem to have seen it in you pretty early on. Did they see it before you? I mean, I think so. I mean, like I knew that I loved it, but I just, I didn't really think about it that much. I just kind of did what I enjoyed doing. I was just a little kid at that point. I mean, I did, (laughs) I did used to have, you know, aspirations of winning awards and being in Hollywood or whatever, but really like my expectations have changed a lot because of what we've discussed. Like I grew up and I wanted to maybe be some sort of pop star. Cause that's what I was aware of. And then as I've gotten older, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't really ring true to me. I don't really like what's going on in modern day pop. So if I could get there through the means of making the music that I want to make, that would be really great. Because like I said, I'd love to have a bigger platform to be able to speak about issues that matter to me and like make a difference. Cause I mean, really that's such a big part of why I want to do this and have a public forum. Otherwise I could just make the music for myself and you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, so my aspirations have changed, I'd say a bit as I've gotten older, but I think I always knew I wanted to do something creative. Yeah. It's interesting because when I first started too, I was like, I want to be like John Belushi famous. And then I saw people around me get famous. And I was like, this looks fucking terrible. (laughs) It looks like a a hell show. Definitely. It does not solve all your problems. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think too, I think some people are cut out for it like they're very extroverted i'm i don't have the mental capacity i would i would have you would have i would have been the guy running down the street with a pistol like that would have been me well i think that like our idealization of celebrity in our culture is just like wrong it's just not like if it was like really caring about people and then like revering them as artists that would be one thing, but it seems like a lot of being famous is being criticized and torn down and followed by paparazzi and having every part of your life dissected. And that, that doesn't seem fun for anyone. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't like bumping into people I know in the grocery store, let alone being like, I, I just want to get my cheese and get out of there. I'm the same. I mean, it's kind of funny how I moved out to Joshua tree and you still, it's like kind of a small town. So like what I was trying to run away from in LA, I still run into here where it's like, there's only like so many grocery stores. So like basically every time I go to the grocery store, I see someone I know, but that was like something that I could never stand about LA, which is funny. Cause like, of course I love seeing people that I like or whatever, but like, I don't like being caught off guard or being unprepared. So it's like, you go to a certain coffee shop and you're just like, Oh God, like, I mean, that's kind of the joy of a mask, but a mask doesn't really hide you as much as you'd like. You're like, oh, no one can recognize me. I have this mask on. And someone comes up to you like, Pearl. And I'm like, oh God, I thought I was invincible with this mask. <laughs> yeah. I like when I find, get home and I find out I've had some like cream cheese or something in my facial hair. But then I was like, <laughs> fuck, I can't believe I went to the store. And then I was like, oh, no one saw it. You've been wearing a mask. That's see the beauty. Finding the positive sides of COVID is what we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta look on the bright side. I've and I think I've always been reclusive, and this has really brought like like now I'm like fuck. I don't really want to deal with the world much anymore. Is that healthy? healthy? 
now this is some hippy dippy stuff, but um, there's like this different form of astrology called like human design or something. And I recently did my human design chart and it said something about me, which really rang true. I feel like I keep saying resonate and rang true, but that's what we're talking about. We're just talking about being authentic. Um, yeah, it really like, I felt right to me where it was like basically saying that I need time to myself to be creative. And when I feel that I'm forced to socialize, that I get resentful. And that is a hundred percent true where I like, I love having my friends. I love socializing. That's all great. But if I have to do it in a way that I don't feel like is my choice, then I'm like, I get annoyed because I'd rather be working on my creative pursuits than just socializing for the sake of socializing. So I get this. I get this. I see. I didn't know if I had, if I was like on the spectrum is what I was, or something in that department, because I would get like, if I'm like, if I have it locked in my head, like, Oh, tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be creative. And then something sidetracks it. I get really fucking pissed off. (laughs) Like I don't break things, but I'm like, internally, I'm like, God damn it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm the same. I get very annoyed because, you know, we only have so much time in this world. And like, I think that, of course, there's a balance that you have to strike because socializing is part of our lifeblood as well. But like making stuff, whether it's music or other forms of art, that is like what gets me through the day. So like, I need to make time for that. Yeah, yeah, I, I get real goofy. But I also feel like, you know, you always hear about those artists. I think, too, when you get a certain level of status in the art world, you're allowed to be a little bit weirder. Like, because they'll be like, well, it's, you know, it's so-and-so. He can be weird. (laughs) Right. But it's like, if I do that, I'm nobody. People will be like, all right, yeah, okay. Why don't you get back to work, guy? (laughs) (laughs) I want want that genius label because that really gives you a lot of leeway to just be as weird and lazy or whatever you want to be. That's true. That's genius is free reign. I mean, look, Dylan is a perfect example. Once again, where it's like, he literally does whatever the fuck he wants, whenever he wants to, and nobody questions it ever. (laughs) I wish we would have that attitude with like anybody who wanted to be like, you know, I just read this book about selling out and like how the, a lot of, it was a lot about labels interfering with bands. And I'm like, when do they learn that if they just leave somebody alone, they're going to get a lot more mileage out of somebody, but they don't like, it's just baffling to me. Well, I mean, when we're talking about like record executives or whatever, like, I mean, it's funny, they sign bands because they're like, we love what you're doing. So we're going to sign you, but we want to change everything that you're doing. And you're like, well, that's why don't you just sign another band that's doing what you want them to do and they're like no 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 we want you to be completely different and you're like how does that add up yeah the coat hangers told me that they were like they wanted them to have an electric drum set and they were like what like do you listen to what we do that is i mean what a weird like i don't it's just like why does a record executive think that they know more about making records than the band that they've signed i just don't it's really yeah they're going for something completely different, which is like trying to sell something, which like, you know, most of these bands didn't start out with the idea of like, how can we sell this? Um, I think they want to make themselves marketable as well, probably because they also want to want their records to sell and they want to connect to people. But I mean, not at the, not at the cost of giving up what you actually want to be making. Yeah. Which goes back to your point about the seventies. It's like that a lot of the studio execs didn't, fuck with the filmmakers in those days the directors just went and did what they did for the most part and it's hard to argue that those are some of the greatest films ever made now i understand that being said some of these movies you know like nick rogue is a great example one of my favorite directors like yeah some of those movies are maybe hard to follow and they're not quite so linear or whatever but like you know you had other you just could have more than one type of movie I agree. Like, it's crazy to me that, like, I think it was Annie Hall or Manhattan. One of those had lines around the block when it came out. And it's like, that would not be the case today. For a bunch of reasons. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, bad example. <laughs> but I mean, just like in, in, you know, or even like, you know, like Raging Bull or any of those kind of films were like blockbuster films by, and they weren't 
there was no laser beams. Well, and it's funny also because, you know, for me, like understanding the chronology helps me understand things better. But when it comes down to people making stuff now, movies and music, that doesn't have that influence of the time that influences my music. It's hard for me to understand like how we got from here to there. Like if it's just, Oh, I'm was born in the two thousands and I'm influenced by like the nineties. And I'm like, yeah, but that's like kind of like separated. Like the nineties was influenced by the eighties and seventies and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But if you're only coming from the nineties and you're kind of like missing some of the good stuff that came earlier. So then it's hard for me to connect with what's being made now when I don't understand the lineage. That's an interesting way of, yeah. <laughs> I, I felt, no, I just had, shouldn't have been quiet for that long. I felt guilty. <laughs> you just really had to think about that one. You know, that was deep. What can I say? It was deep. It was, and I don't think I have an answer. Uh, that's okay. Right. To have That's, there's no, no answer to this question. It makes a difference to me really, because I, I didn't always like ABBA and I didn't always like, um, a lot of stuff that after I spent more time figuring out what came before it and what influenced it, then I had a new appreciation and a new understanding. So that, I don't know if that's true for everyone, but it's true for me where like, I, I like to know some context that helps me. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like as a listener, like I feel like you can't, or any participant in art, you can't be passive. I think you have to, like when you were saying like, oh, these, these films aren't as linear. Like if there's something that I don't, it's, I don't get, then it's my responsibility as somebody who wants to appreciate creativity to fucking figure it out. Because <laughs> sometimes I'm not ready for it. Like I remember hearing bands 20 years ago and being like, I don't know what they're doing. And now I can listen to it after I've learned more. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I get it. Totally. I mean, that's, it makes a big difference. I think, you know, it's kind of like being an informed participant. That's a great word because you're more, I mean, yeah, obviously it happens in every medium of art and I mean, I guess you don't have to be, but like, I feel like that enriches the experience for me. So yeah, I remember when Tree of Life came out, people fucking hated it. And a lot of people hated it. And I loved it. And I was like, is it because it's not your typical narrative film and it's kind of goes all over the place? Is that, is that simply why people don't like it? Because it's not broken down into three simple acts? Not to I mean, say on that... The, uh, Go ahead. Well, on, on the flip side of a much, much less serious thing, <laughs> this, new, this new Tiger King came out. And I kept reading reviews that it was terrible. And so I was like, God, maybe I won't watch this. Cause like everybody says it sucks. And then I watched it and it was great. And I was like, what is, what are you guys talking about? I mean, I don't know if I'd go so far as to call it Tiger King art, but it's just like, <laughs> you like rely on reviews or other people's opinions of it. Make your own opinion that just, you know, unless you want to just decide that, like that, you just like what other people tell you to like, or you don't like what other people tell you to like. But I mean, like, I don't know. I've always, I've always kind of, prided myself on being an individual and I mean I think everybody should because that's what like makes the world go round is everybody's different and has something different to offer and a different opinion and a different way of seeing things which is a really beautiful thing actually but you know everybody just like falls in line with like what they're told to like and like rotten tomatoes or whatever and I'm like I mean rotten tomatoes to me is like an abomination it's 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 fucking lazy for starters like it's just bad and it's, it's like Yelp. It's like, it's just like anytime, you know, if I'm pissed off or whatever my mood is, it doesn't like, I, there's things I've listened to. Like, I didn't like, like now I can't think of the name of the flaming lips album. I didn't like it when I first heard it. I was like, what the fuck? And then I listened and then like a couple of weeks later, I went and listened to it and I was like, oh, okay. I get this. <laughs> like, oh, South Bolton. Like the first time I heard South Bolton, I was like, I don't, I don't know. And sometimes you're just in a weird headspace. Totally. I mean, I think like being open-minded enough to listen to something more than one time to try and understand it. And it's like, maybe you won't, maybe you'll never like it, but at least you like tried because you would want to understand because, you know, I mean, that's, it's really something that like is 
also of the past is like just appreciating an artist for being an artist, even if they put out things that you don't like. I mean, like everybody talks about how much they love Bowie and Bowie's like everybody's like idol, but it's like, if there's an artist like Bowie now who came out and put out records like that sometimes were weird or you didn't like one of them or whatever, they would just be like, they'd be forgotten about eventually. Cause they'd be like, Oh, that guy does like, he had one hit, but like now he does like some weird performance art shit or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, you know, artists like that, like, I don't know if they could make it today, which is like a little scary to think about. It It is. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, Neil Young, Bob Dylan. I mean, the list goes on. These are prolific people and not everybody loves every one of their albums and that's okay. What is the, the Neil Young has that album. I can't think of the name of it. Where he trans. Did, yes. Which he's re-releasing. <laughs> and, I knew uh, you were talking about trans. <laughs> but it's like, because when it came out, I was young and people were like, this is fucking bullshit. And I was like, so I never listened to it just because that's what I heard as a kid. So I went back and listened to it and I was like, oh, this is really good. <laughs> I, was like, I mean, I love like the Christian era of Dylan and that's like oh, widely too. panned by so many people. And I'm like, are you guys even actually listening? I mean, like Shot of Love has Keltner and has Ringo. And I mean, the lyrics are like up there with some of his best lyrics. And I'm just like, people are just like, oh, Christian Dylan, that's just sucks. And I'm like, have you ever even listened? <laughs> and why is Christian Dylan bad? But um, Hindu George Harrison is good. Like, what? <laughs> like, not to say, you know, it's like, I mean, I'm not a fan of Christian, most Christians. Yeah, my, my experiences have been pretty poor. <laughs> but it's like, that's a good album. You got to serve yeah. somebody. It's a great song. So good. I mean, listen, I don't know. You're, you're asking the wrong person because I'm the person <laughs> that wants to listen to that shit. But I guess I'm a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that you're right. Like, the appreciation of, like, there's certain artists that just don't, I'm going to use the word, resonate with me. They don't, there's just something about it. It doesn't strike me, but I can go, oh yeah, they're great musicians. That's a really well-produced album. It's not for me. And that's how I, instead of the typical, oh, fuck, it sucks, which is what at least my old hometown would be articulating it as. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's some, some things that are like hard to appreciate, for me, but I mean, that's okay. You know, to each their own. I really don't like fish. Oh yeah. I'll get on board with that. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously that's going to upset some people. I love the dead fish. Just not for me, but you know, that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like there's certain tones or something of certain bands use that just like great on me. It's just a personal thing. I'm the same. That's, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I can't really say like, there's definitely like a time in my life where I've been like, fish fucking sucks. And I'm like, it's not for me. I don't know. It's obviously for a lot of people. I don't know what it is about it, but yeah, it just does not hit me in the right place. <laughs> Auto-tune is another thing where I'm like, do we still need to keep using this thing? Is that, is that what it's called? Auto-tune? Auto? Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing you're talking about when it's being used like Every in a kind of sense. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, it can be used very tastefully in ways that you wouldn't even know it was there. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm revealing industry secrets. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's used. I mean, I, certain singers, I think, who are up there in the ears who can't do what they used to do. I think right, they're using it. I mean, I heard, I don't know if this is true, but I heard when the Spice Girls did a reunion tour that they had some sort of like auto tune that like immediately would hit their voice the second that they would sing. So that like even live, it was like correcting it like in the moment, which is like pretty impressive, but... That is impressive. I've <laughs> Eric Slick wouldn't name names, but he said there's still big arena drummers who there's another drummer off stage playing for them. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm sure. I mean, I know. I mean, Fleetwood Mac is actually like very legit, and I'm so glad I got to see them live with the original lineup. But there was definitely like a second round of musicians behind them. Oh, uh, I mean, I think about that though. Not just just you're if you're 80, and a lot of them have done a a shit ton of drugs. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. And you're more open to your approach with your approach. Like let's, cause as you said, you collaborate, but I, th- I yeah, always find yeah. that interesting. Cause there are those people are like my, my way. And I'm like, 
That's, I would rather hear as much as I possibly could before I. I'm definitely not a Brian Wilson type, you know, like I've always thought that those sort of, um, I don't know what you would call it musically, but like an auteur or whatever, somebody who like, you know, is in control of everything and it's their vision. Like, I mean, I definitely have a vision, but I really consider myself like a curator. Like I surround myself with great players and great producers. And I kind of, they know me. I mean, I, you know, I, I've talked about this a lot, but I'm in a van with my bandmates eight hours a day for weeks on end. And so I get to inundate them with all of my favorite music and my favorite podcasts and my favorite books on tape and whatever. And like, we, you know, we pass it around and let other people play their music, but I'm oftentimes the one driving or I'm in the front seat. So like, I'm kind of in control of that. And because of that, and just getting to know each other, um, we're all really close, like me and the band. So they really know me and they know what I want to execute. And they're all amazing at their instruments and um you know so like letting them do their thing within the context of my thing I think is actually what allows us to create what we create because it's not just me being like you have to play this part and of course I have ideas and I tell people try this or try that but like I'm also open to trying other people's ideas I'm not like the kind of person who's just like no it has to be this way and there's no other way like I think the best thing you can do is like let a bunch of great artists loose on your song and let them do their thing. And then, you know, you might get something. Yeah. You inevitably will get something that you couldn't have gotten on your own. I will let you, cause I think I gotta go watch my kid now. I might the wife. I will thank you so very much. I really greatly enjoyed talking to you and I greatly enjoy your music as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great to chat. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with The Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber. If you like, also subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or themattdwyer.com or Conversations with The Wire at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.